And Joshua commanded the officers of the people, Pass through the midst of the camp and command the people, Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in, to take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest, and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valour among you shall pass over armed before your brothers, and shall help them. Until the Lord gives rest to your brothers, as he has to you, and they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession, and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan, towards the sunrise. And they commanded Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him shall be put to death. Only be strong. I've got this picture up on the screen here. Uh, what, what do you think it represents? Promise. Promise, okay. Has anyone ever done that? As friends, I don't, I, I've never done that personally, but um, it's a pact, isn't it? It's a, it's a promise. Um, and I thought I'd start by putting this to you, that actually I think promises are behind or lie behind every interaction in our lives. And every area of our lives, promises pervade all of it. So have a think about it for a minute. Life as we know it just wouldn't function without promises. I challenge you this week to try to count the number of times you or someone you're chatting to used as a language of promise. And I give you my word, there'll be loads. Sometimes a promise sounds a bit more legal or formal, and so we call it a contract. Sometimes it feels more relational, and so we call it like a vow or an oath, or we say, uh, I I promise you, um, those kind of things. But it's part of our everyday language, isn't it? Why is it such an important thing in our language to make promises? Um, I don't know if you've noticed with the pandemic, uh, all of those briefings that we've seen on the TV, maybe you've been watching them, maybe you haven't, uh, but... All of those briefings says at every turn in the pandemic, the government has made promises, pledges of what they are to do or what we are to expect. Why do they do that? Well, it's because they recognise that promises are powerful. They move us. We either trust them and trust the people making those promises or we say, nah, and do something else. Uh, So that's the basis of promise, isn't it? And it gives people hope. Now we can argue over whether that's a false hope when it comes to the the government and whether they've kept that word, whether it's a false hope, but it shows us, doesn't it, that that promises are powerful. Maybe you're here and you've never really thought about the Bible before. And it might be that talk of God, which we're going to talk about in a minute, still feels to you like a bit like discussing the tooth fairy or a unicorn, a magical creature, an imaginary one. If that's you, it's great to have you here. And I hope that you'll soon work out that everything I'm saying is coming straight from what's there in front of you, from the Bible. Because the Bible gives us what we can know about God. 
And this means you can inquire of it yourself. You can take it away and read it. I hope you do. I hope you come up with questions about it. And I'd encourage you to do that with Joshua. But you'll see, as you start to read it and look at it, that every part of this book points us to a God who makes a promise. Every single part of it will point you to a God, to God making a promise. And I want to suggest that that's surprising, isn't it? Because we, we don't really think that God speaks or says anything, but he does. And it's even more surprising because when he speaks, we expect from him only rules or true statements, definitives, absolutes, but we don't expect a promise. So what's so amazing about this promise that God makes? And why is it the promise that actually summarises the whole of the Bible message? You interested? You interested to find out what this promise is and where it is in the book of Joshua? I hope you are. It's the promise that describes God's every interaction with everyone, anytime. That's the promise. So it's a big promise. And it means it's not just a promise for those people then. We're going to read about the people in Joshua, but it's not just for them then. It's for us now. So we're going to do a few things this evening. We're going to find out what that promise is. That's the first thing we'll do. And then we'll ask two things of it. We'll ask, is God able to keep that promise? And if so, how is he doing it? And then we'll ask ourselves, what does this promise say to us about God? And I think Kenny's going to put the slides on so I can use the clicker. So what is the promise? Well, the promise is there in what God says, the Lord says, following the death of Moses, uh, what the Lord says to Joshua in verse 2 to 9. Should we read that again? Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this land, uh, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm going to give them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness in this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the great uh, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, to the great sea towards the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. The promise is land. Is it on there? Okay, it might be on there in a sec. The Lord will give them a land. Now, I know that Sam's been on the waiting list for barking allotment for quite some time. How long is it? Two years. Two years. I'm waiting. I, I smugly sort of say I've got an allotment. And I show him the allotment and sort of make him feel a little bit jealous. But you might, I'm not sure how long you'd be waiting, brother. But, um, you know, you might have to come over to Beckentree instead, which is by far the better allotment. But, but when, we start, when we hear that promise, the Lord is going to give them a land, we think, hmm? what? That's just not exciting me at all, is it? You're not thinking, oh, I wish I had that land. I wish I was there. It's not what we expect, is it? But actually, in terms of the Bible, it should be what we expect. And I put two pictures up on the screen. The first one is Abraham on the, on the left. The second one is Moses. And if you look to Genesis 12, verse 3, let's look at it now. When God called Abraham and said that his people, his descendants, would be God's people, he said these words. He said, and 
I will make you, verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonours you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, Abraham. Moses. We just heard about Moses' death. Uh, So we know that Moses comes just before uh, Joshua. Go to uh, Exodus 3. And verses 7 to 8. It's when uh, Moses encounters the Lord in the non-burning bush. And the Lord says to him in verses 7 to 8. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. And have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land. A land flowing with milk and honey. To the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God's promise that this chosen people his, would be his descendants, uh, Abraham's descendants, would be more than the stars in the sky. He promised that they would be the means he uses to bring blessing to the whole world. And God promised them a place. That was part of his promise. And it was a promise where they'd experience true rest. Think about it, they've been wandering, they've had no place of their own. And God said, I will give you a land, and that was what they hoped for. So this is actually, the land is that final stage of the promise. It's like the top capping off ceremony. It's the third stage of a three-part promise. There are people, um, they're going to be a blessing to the nations, and this is the land. And if, unless God comes good on this part of the promise... All of the other things that have happened to them before that are going to be lost, aren't they? Because it just takes another nation to come and put them back into slavery to enslave them all over again. And they'll be back where they started. So the constant description of this land is it's a gift. God is going to give them a land. That's the promise. Let's have a look at Deuteronomy, which is a few books along. Um, Just giving you a bit of an overview here. Let's look at Deuteronomy 9, and let's look at verse 4 to 5. We're saying, aren't we, that the land is a gift. God is going to give them a land. So it's not a reward. Let's read verses 4 to 6. This is Moses speaking to the people about their entering the land. And he says, when the Lord has given you the land, do not say in your hearts... After the Lord your God has thrust out the people in the land, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations the Lord your God is driving out from before you. And that he may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. And to Moses. (laughs) This is not because of your righteousness. He says that, doesn't he? Again and again. The land will be a gift. It's not a reward. The Lord is giving them a land. That's his promise. This changes the way we think of God, doesn't it? Because we assume that if he's there, that his main job is to punish wickedness. And that would be true. It says that in in the verses. But we also assume that he rewards good behaviour. 
And yet here we have a massive and unmissable example of God giving to those who don't deserve it. Uh, if you wanted to read on in that uh, bit of Deuteronomy 9, it's, you'll hear Moses really kind of going to town on the people and saying, this is what you're like. You, you're rebellious. And he finishes that sermon with the words, you've been rebellious since the moment I knew you. That couldn't be more damning, could it, on the people to say, you've all been as rebellious as the moment I knew you and since the moment I knew you. So the, the summary of that of that promise is it's going to be a land. So the Lord will give them the land. And we said, didn't we, that we asked him the question, is God able to do that? Can he keep that promise? Will he keep that promise? And if he will keep that promise to them, how is he going to do it? Well, really, the answer to that question is the whole of the book of Joshua. Yeah? You need to read on to find out how is he going to do it? What's he going to do? Um, and we will. We'll be looking at these chapters together and see kind of the events as they play out. Um, all God's promising here that he's going to do and how it comes about. So the question of how he's going to keep that promise is one we're going to see. But we do get an answer for that question here in this chapter. And it's there in the person of Joshua. Because God... Presumably, the Lord could have just handed over the land. Yeah? He could have done that. In, in fact, with Moses, he could have just brought the people out of Egypt himself. But what does he do? He uses Moses. There's a representative that he uses. And in, Exodus, in, in Joshua, with giving them the land, how's God going to do it? He's going to... Sorry, I've gone back somehow. What happened there? Kenny, did I go the wrong way? The Lord will give them a land through Joshua. So how is God going to do it? Well, it's clear, isn't it, in these verses, he's going to give them a land through Joshua. So it's the Lord giving them a land, but he's going to do it through Joshua. What's clear here is that God sets up Joshua as his representative. It's his leader. He's picked him. And he said, this is my man. Get behind him. As you as you trusted my promises, and so you get these amazing things with Joshua. You get like um, the people again and again. You hear them saying, "Be bold, be strong, and courageous." <laughs> They're not saying that to each other. They're saying that to Joshua because if Joshua trusts the promises of God, then he will lead the people in trust of those promises, and they will gain the land. He's their representative. He's the one who keeps them trusting the promises of God, and he's the one who himself. Trust the promises of God. Um, there's a few other quotes I'll show you. Um, I will not leave you or forsake you, says the Lord. These are words spoken directly to Joshua. An assurance for Joshua that the Lord is with him. And the people themselves say, don't they? Uh, I'll get to that in a second. But um, in verse uh, 7, it says that Joshua is to be obedient. He's to trust the promise of God, the word of God. So do not turn from, from this promise, that you may have good success wherever you go. So it's, it is important that Joshua is a faithful leader. And then the pe- people say, at the, right at the very end of this, in verse 16 and 17, it's verse 17, he, they say, Only may the Lord be with you as he was with Moses. 
So you see that Joshua is really being pit, pit, uh, set up, pitted as the, the main man, right? If the Lord is with Joshua as he was with Moses, then they will get the, he, the, that's the way God is going to use to give them the land. Um, so, what's Joshua's job going to be? He is to instruct the people in verse. Uh, eight. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it, and it shall not depart from your mouth. He is to speak it to the people, to remind them of the promises of God. And that you get this amazing verse in verse uh, chapter, chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord says to Joshua, just as they're ready to cross the Jordan, what does the Lord say to Joshua? Today I will begin to exhort you in the sight of the people. The Lord is going to exalt Joshua in the sight of the people. And so it's amazing, isn't it, that God, the Lord, puts the focus on Joshua in some ways. He, he shows that this is the way in which he's going to use. And actually, this sets a pattern, doesn't it? Moses, representative for the people. Joshua, representative for the people. It shows that we need a representative. The people of God need a representative. One who will entrust himself uh, to to the Lord, uh, to his presence with him, who will triumph over his enemies uh, and, and even put himself on the line to do that. Just as the people receive their inheritance from the Lord through Joshua... So the people of God receive eternal life through Jesus, whose name, by the way, means the Lord saves. The same as Joshua is the same name. Yeshua, Joshua. Jesus, the one whose trust in the Father's word, never faltered. He was tempted in the desert, wasn't he? But what did he bring? What was on his lips? The word of the Lord. Even at the point of temptation and even at the point of shedding his own blood. So he was strong and courageous, wasn't he? Jesus, whose courage dealt the final blow to all evil. So this is, you know, they're heading into Canaan. They're going to come up against a lot of people who are really uh, not happy that they're there and are going to attack them. And yet Jesus dealt the final blow to all evil and to Satan himself whose victory secured for all God's people an eternal place of rest. And as Sam said, that's why Jesus' invitation is, come to me and I will give you rest. You see that word rest, don't you, in verse 13? As as Joshua is reminding the people of the promise of uh, what Moses said, uh, the promise of the Lord, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. So it's, it's not just a land, a, a place, a physical you know, area. It's, it's going to be a place where they can enjoy God, his presence with them. And they can enjoy his blessing. And also security from their enemies. So all evil is going to be taken away. So that's the promise. Yeah? That's the promise that we're going to track as we go through Joshua. Can the Lord do this? Will the Lord give them the land? And how does he use Joshua? What's he, 
How has he used Joshua to give the people the land? And the other thing that we're going to track as we go through Joshua is we're going to see that it sets before us both sides of that promise. So there's a promise, isn't there? I will do this for you. But within that promise, there's the other side of that promise. What will happen to God's enemies? And this is what's going to really strike us as we read it, is that um, in one motion, in giving the people the land, the Lord is going to wipe away his enemies. And he is going to do that himself. He said in that verse in um, Deuteronomy, it's because of the wickedness of the people. So this is a God who is establishing his justice and yet he is providing a wonderful place for his people. So if we may be tempted to brush this promise aside and think, nah, sounds a bit naff. I think I'd rather something else with, you know, not promised. I don't really care about this promise. Then we must know that judgment remains because in, there's people inside this promise who are counted under its blessings and there's people outside of this promise. And when Jesus returns, he is going to sweep away all the wickedness and provide a new earth, a renewed earth where he is going to provide that for his people. So it matters. His patience here and in all these years leading up to this moment for Joshua, for those nations who were continuing in their wickedness, his patience was meant to lead them to repentance. And it's the same today. So don't ignore it. So let's have a look then. What does the promise mean for us? Well, it means, it matters which side of the promise we're on, doesn't it? We've seen that the promise is the land and it proves that the Lord saves. But it also proves that he's, he's going to judge wickedness. Um, we've seen that to receive the eternal blessings of this promise doesn't depend on being righteous. In fact, it's in spite of it. It depends on God and his faithfulness to keep his promises. So through the pages of Joshua, uh, every hurdle they face, we will see the Lord God powerfully at work. And he will part the waters of the Jordan. He will bring down the walls of Jericho and he will bring their enemies to nothing because he fights. He is bringing the judgment. We've begun to see and we'll be seeing this even more clearly that it matters which side of the promise we're on. Now, you might be thinking, this promise doesn't apply to me. I'm not Abraham, and I'm certainly not one of those Israelites. And you're absolutely right. You're not. I'm not. But we heard in the promise that was given to Abraham and his descendants that God's purpose would be to bless all peoples of the world through their descendants. So that includes us, doesn't it? All peoples, all nations. All the world, that's got to include us. And we're going to see in chapter 2 an example of that, Rahab, and a whole Gentile family, extended family probably, who come under the promise. They are in the, 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 on, of the nation who are just about to be invaded and conquered, who are, who are part of the wickedness that's going on in the land, and yet she crosses over. And we're going to see how that happens. So it it starts to happen here. Purposes of God, the blessing of God for all nations starts to happen here. And it's happening today. 
It's happening as God takes people from slavery to sin. He brings them out of that. He brings them through the wilderness of this life and he brings them into his eternal uh, home. He brings them home. That's the same thing that's happening today. But it does, I just want to show you this because we need to keep this in our minds as we read through Joshua. Is that with one and the same motion, the Lord's going to sweep away his enemies and he's going to provide a place for his redeemed people. And that should humble us. That truth should humble us. It shouldn't be like, you know, that, you know that exactly what Deuteronomy is saying. It shouldn't be us thinking, oh, he's giving this to us as a reward. It's a gift. And it should humble us to think that he's, he's gracious enough to do that. And that we, we, we deserve to be the ones that he sweeps away. We're just as wicked as the people in the land. And yet he provides salvation for his people uh, because of who he is. Because of nothing else. Because of his son, Jesus. Um, what does this mean if you're a Christian? And we're just going to end with this thought. Um, well, it means that this promise, doesn't it? Sorry, let, let me just go from that. Rahab. Uh, the next one. I just want to talk about this for a minute. Because this is what struck me when reading this. And uh, it's there in verses uh, 12 through to 15. Okay, should we read that? It says, To the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Okay, immediately we're like, that's complicated. What's going on? Well, it's the tribes receiving their inheritance. And these guys have already got theirs. Huh? Moses had already conquered some of the, the land with the people. But it's the bit outside of uh, this side of the Jordan. And so they'd already been allotted their land. So these are the guys who didn't need to do anything more further, really. And what does uh, Joshua say to them? Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain here in the land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valour among you shall pass them over before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Then return to the land of your possession and possess it. See? So don't be the kind of people who, who have their inheritance and say, well, that's, that's job done. Right. How does that apply to us? Well, it applies to those who are trusting in the promise, who the land is being given to, the promised blessing of God, which is to Christians today. It means that this promise and all of, this ble- all of its blessings are ours. Already. We are seated in heaven, in the heavenly places. We, like, that's guaranteed. We will live forever with Jesus when he returns. In the place prepared for us. But just as Moses needed to tell the Israelites, we need to hear the words. Don't say to yourself, it's because of my righteousness. Take it as a gift. Keep being amazed by the wonder of that gift. The grace of the Lord Jesus towards you. And how do we know if we're trusting in this promise? Well, in these verses that we've just read, Joshua speaks specifically to those two and a half tribes 
who already had been given their inheritance. Like the land, the place where they were going to settle was, was already, it didn't need conquering. It had already been conquered. And so the message is clear. We are not to be those who sit on our inheritance and say, I'm going to heaven. I'm okay. I'm all right. And that is actually a mark, I think. If, if we're truly thinking like that all the time, there's probably a mark that we haven't received the inheritance ourselves. And that's really serious, isn't it? And I was thinking about this, that um, you know, we can attend church, we can read the Bible, we can pray, and we can treat all of those things as it's just me and God. It's my, my relationship with God. That's, that's, the, that's everything inside of this closed system. Is, is me and my God. You don't get that in the Bible, do you? What you get in the Bible is the people of God, Israel, a nation, a people, collective. And we'll see that as we go through Joshua. And here, the, part of that unity, part of that plan of God, the people who are within the promise are those who will lend a hand to their brothers and sisters. And lend a hand in trying to ensure that they do not miss out on their inheritance. Trying to make sure that everyone is going to get to, this, to, to be with the Lord. They're not going to fall away. They're not going to give up on it. Yeah? It's a wonderful picture of the church. And, 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 and that middle section is saying, if we think actually, actually that is human religion. Okay? That middle section is human religion. Me and my relationship with God. Attending church, reading the Bible, prayer is just about me and my relationship with God. The big difference between Christianity and religion is that it's not about me and my, my God. It, it, it's partly, but it's, it's about the people of God. And that's the big difference. Um, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. The, that, to say I'm all right now is not the Christian life. What is the Christian life? And I used a girl as a soldier because I thought, if I just do a man, then you're going to think it's only the men. Okay, it's the men of valor in the passage, but it's, it's weird, girls and guys, yeah? Who's not there yet? Who's missing out? Who should, who, who should be having this inheritance? Who, who needs to have this inheritance? And, and this is what convicted me. The church is not a place where people are, are fixated on their own relationship with God. And it's just about my relationship with God. I come, I go, it's just about my relationship with God. The church um, is a place where people encourage and spur each other on to keep walking with Jesus. And I've got to ask myself these questions. Do I have the same concern about your walk with Jesus as my own? Or am I concerned only with my walk with the Lord? Or, and not that of others. As I read God's word throughout the week, it's easy, isn't it? To pray it in, to think about it. How does this apply to me? But how do I stop there? Is, it, is God's word just about how it applies to me or is it for you? Am I going to pray it in for you? When someone's missing from church on Sunday or from other meetings, do we notice? Do I notice? Is it, is it, is it just about me being there? As long as I'm there, it's okay. Or is it, is it uncomfortable? 
when we see people who, who aren't coming anymore? Is our mind there instead of here? Now, where are they tonight? How, why are they missing it? It could be that they're just busy and they'll come next week. But it could be that they're not going to be walking with the Lord. And they're going to miss out on the inheritance. Will I send them a message? Or am I merely content that I was there, even when they're not? And this is the big challenge of those verses, is the people of God are not just concerned about their own inheritance. They're not sitting, those who sit tight and say, I'm, I'm all right, I'm going to heaven. Fantastic. There are people who say, who's, who's not there yet? Who's going to miss out on it? If you, like me, sense that there's an okay, there's an I'm okay, I'm off to heaven shape to our prayer lives, to our money, to how we spend our time, then hearing this exhortation, this is our opportunity to repent. And part of our repentance will be to put it right. <laughs> Say, I, I know I should be about the church. I know I should be about my brothers and sisters and their walk with the Lord. I know I should be about my own family's walk with the Lord, and I'm not. Most of my time is spent with me and my Bible and my God, and it's, that's not the sum of it. It's not what we see here. The second uh, mark of God's people here is that they, there is a desire, even if it is way beyond them, to listen and to obey Jesus. And we get that, don't we, in what they say in verses 16 to 18. They say, all that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you, as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your commandment and disobeys your words, whatever you command him, shall be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you for what you've been saying to us through this chapter. Uh, thank you for the representative that you've, you've shown us we need. Uh, thank you for your wonderful promise, uh, which stands throughout eternity and will be shown to be uh, what you, your entire interaction with people throughout the ages. And it will be shown to be what is fulfilled uh, through what Jesus has done in dying and rising again and going before us to prepare a place for us. Please would we be those who want to be and ask you to be, to include us in this promise and its blessings. And please uh, show us that we're, uh, without that we're, we're those who are heading for judgment. Um, your patience is, 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 is now, but it will not last and continue forever. So we pray that um, you would give us a humble uh, response to you, uh, a repentance uh, that leads to faith. And we pray um, that for those who are here who would call themselves Christians would say that we have this wonderful inheritance and that all the blessings of that promise. Please would you make us those who have a great concern for others to, to know that inheritance too. Uh, not just those in our family, uh, church family, but, but particularly those in our church family. Um, and those who are on our estate, would you show us that the Christian life is not a, a closed circuit of just 
me and my private walk with you. Uh, Please turn us outward to each other, to encourage each other, to spur each other on, and to, 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 to make every effort to see that no one is missing out. Uh, We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.